Boom. We're live. It's episode number three of the Degenerate 75 Talks Golf with Smart People. And just fair warning, I'm a fucking dumbass. We've already done this. You know, we already we already live recorded this, and it was honestly the best chat I've ever had. And I was heartbroken when somehow the audio got fucked up. And I will tell you, I'll take 100% blame for it because I'm good at PGA, and I'm good at talking shit, but I'm a moron at technology. And so this guy was nice enough to give me another chunk of his day to come on and talk golf with me because I'm a fucking moron. And so today's guest, I cannot tell you how excited I am. It is a guy who has basically been the king of DFS for like the past six years. And, you know, I I want this to just be about golf, but let's not lie. We all live in that DFS world and we want to know about it, especially from somebody who's been living up there at the top of the mountain for a long time. So today's guest, I'm super excited to tell you is, you may know him as Osimo. I'm going to call him Alex. Alex, how you doing, man? James, what's up, man? It's uh, it's good to be on the podcast for a second time here. Yeah, so exactly. uh, hopefully we can we can uh, talk about some interesting stuff. So the worst part is is that first one. I bet people wouldn't even know that we didn't know each other. It felt pretty natural, like just a couple guys chopping it up. And now we actually do know each other, so we can't even say you know now now it's gonna be like talking to my best friend, and people are gonna be like, oh, I already know each other. Well, you know that song tribute by Tenacious D, where it's like, "This isn't the greatest song; it's just a tribute." Uh, or like, uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Jack yeah, yeah, Black. Yeah. I, I feel like that's like what we're doing now. It's like this might not be the greatest uh, podcast episode of all time, but it's just a tribute to the one that we just did. That was exactly right. Which was one? So this, arguably, we're going to try to make it the second best. So for all of you that don't know. Uh, we what we're gonna do here is I just have smart people on. I'm a I'm a YouTuber that's trying to make a podcast. If you don't know, I focus on PGA DFS. Might be branching into some new directions. I talk a lot of shit. You should go check out my YouTube channel. It's the Degenerate Seventy Five. I drink a lot of ranch waters. Which, by the way, the one we were doing <laughs> earlier, which was like at noon, I drank a whole ranch water, a big ass one, and uh, was day drinking like a fucking degenerate. And uh, this time I'm just going straight with the Topo Chico, just regular non-alcoholic Topo Chico. Reach out to me. Still waiting on that sponsorship. You guys can hit me up anytime. So, Alex, here we go. Uh, I got. I feel like you know. I'm still determining what I want this pod to be. So I feel like this is a great first question. You always got to lead off with. How good are you at actual golf? <laughs> uh, my golf skills. I guess uh, the best way I can put it is they're not up to par. Where oh, like, uh, well played. Yeah, you like that. Yeah. So I, I've been uh, fortunate enough that playing DFS, like they have golf at some of the events, like live finals and stuff. And uh, that was actually when I played golf for the first time. It was in Scotland at this FanDuel event. And uh, it was it was a rude uh, awakening to the challenges of Lynx golf because I lost probably a whole, uh, whole uh, 12 balls uh, while we were doing it. And... Uh, pretty much every time I've gone golfing since has been about the same. You know, that's the that's the hidden cost of golf. I go through about twelve balls in a round. Like, I mean, I can <laughs> I can hit the ball, but sometimes I get a little squirrely sometimes. And if there's water, my ball's a magnet to it, and there it's going in there. I'm glad I'm not the only one that's yeah. uh, dusting off new balls every hole. Oh, and I, I have no pride. If I can't find my ball within like thirty seconds, I like I, I have far too much pride to go chase it. I'm, I'm not going to keep looking. I just give up, and I'm like, yeah, it was around <laughs> here somewhere. Let's just drop and hit another one. Let's keep the integrity of the round going. It shouldn't take six hours to play a round of golf. Exactly, especially like I, I don't understand why some courses they don't like cut all the grass to a reasonable length. It's like supposed to be like a selling point of these like links courses like dude 
Just get like a lawnmower. Exactly right. That, I I've played one Lynx course and I loved it because I was I felt like no matter where I was, the grass all looked and felt the same. So I was like, I was just spraying all over the place. I was Cam Smithing it out there. Um, you said something. You said uh, that, that being at that live final was uh, the first time you would ever play golf. What um, like what live final were you referencing? Was that that Tiger one that you were at that I saw you at uh, playing poker and stuff a couple months ago? <laughs> No, this one was back in 2017. It was the FanDuel Scottish Golf Experience. And like uh, because FanDuel was based in Scotland, like uh, like they didn't have a ton of UK players, but a lot of uh, employees were based out of Scotland. So they wanted to show everyone a great time. And they uh, had some qualifiers. I think it was a 10-person field. And they invited us all out to Edinburgh. And uh, one of the guys that was... Uh, the guy who organized the trip was their head of VIP, Stuart uh, Huntley, who he really showed us a good time. He's still around at FanDuel at all the finals. So uh, it was cool being out there on their home turf and getting the whole Scottish experience. Do you know Nathaniel, by the way, the VIP host Nathaniel? He was out there at the live final last year. I think that guy's just the coolest yeah, Nathaniel, shit. Yeah. Nathaniel's awesome, man. Like, Unfortunately, I don't think he works at DraftKings anymore. <laughs> I thought but so. I thought, I'm, like, I'm hoping that he pops back up in the in the industry sooner rather than later. No kidding. When I was at the live final last year, that guy, like, he made it like the best experience ever. And then I noticed like, right before the PGA Championship, I was like, I don't see DraftKings on his stuff anymore. I wonder if that's connected. So good to know that's uh, what happened. Um, so anyways, if that, if those, how many live finals have you been to just out of curiosity? I go to a live final probably like a half dozen times a year. So, uh, over seven years, that's probably like a lot. I don't know. You, you, <laughs> I guess that would be, uh, like 40. Do any of them stand out more than the others? Like, did you ever have an amazing experience, uh, at any of them that were any better than the rest or are they just always awesome? The Scotland one was awesome. Uh, I met a couple of great people, like especially uh, my buddy Matt came, and that was really cool. But I met Jason Roslin; he's uh, another DFS personality. And then oh, uh, I know, Tom I know that guy; he was my first Twitter friend. <laughs> oh yeah, man, Jason's awesome. And then Tom Kennedy, who uh, is the co-founder of, of Stochastic with me, so uh, it ended up being a really memorable trip for a lot of reasons. The other great one was the Bahamas uh, mm -hmm. for DraftKings basketball i believe and it, it was just cool being in another country just like uh getting an experience that you never would have otherwise that's what dfs really unlocks for for me and a lot of other people but the negative has to be that when you play golf on those uh tournaments did did they make you have a caddy of course yeah every time uh, like you go for an event they they send a caddy out and unfortunately i realize their job isn't necessarily to help you play golf although they do it's more to just keep it moving and right. uh they're usually um, advising me to just give up uh after probably my sixth or seventh stroke of the hole yeah definitely whenever whenever you're shooting seven and you're still in the rough out by on the fairway <laughs> probably time to pick it up do you whenever you're playing in front of people you don't know because this is important for me because this is i'm such a head case at golf when you play in front of people you don't know does it instantly make you worse? Could you start thinking about what they're <laughs> thinking about you? It, it would, but I don't know if it's possible to be any worse. So what? you keep you keep uh, shitting on your game. Can you break a hundred, <laughs> dude? I, I can't even break one hundred on one hole. Like that's how <laughs> bad it is. But like uh, the problem is, I'm not good at driving or putting or irons. So it's really uh, it's really a tough scene out there. Right. So you can't ball strike, but you make up for it with poor putting, right? <laughs> 
exactly yeah. like, like the shot tracker on, on my round like it'd be tilt every single every single shot i yeah basically like my guy on the 18th hole when i need him to make the cut and just start zigzagging all over the course we've all been there yeah hey do you uh are you, are you do you drink you ever drink alcohol out on the course you ever consider maybe just relaxing the uh <laughs> relaxing the muscles might help a little bit definitely i mean um it was funny, man. I, like one of my buddies, Sean Zahn, uh, who I work with now, but like uh, he is like, yo, let's hit up this nine hole course, Maravitz in Chicago. And uh, so he was like, yo, let's get some beers. And I, I went in and I got us like a, a tall boy for both of us. And he's like, what are you doing, man? This isn't enough. So he went in and he got like a six pack. So we had like, four beers a piece for nine holes and uh, i have to admit that is a pretty good way to play golf yeah i have a i have a theory when i tell you about it. i told you about this earlier so you already know it but i just want to get your opinion on it again so my theory is one or two beers out on the course doesn't really affect my game at all but once i get to three or four like that swing lube kicks in and i feel silky smooth and it just gets those muscles relaxing and that's where i like go play my best rounds and by best rounds i mean i shoot an 87 and then, <laughs> and then, like once I get to five or six, I just get sloppy, and like I literally can't even hit the ball. Do you think? Do you think that like three to four beers? Maybe that's the key to unlocking a good golf game. Is like you just need that right amount of relax. Some guys like to use weed, but I don't run that way. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that? You buying it? Well, I'm I'm probably the worst person to ask about improving your golf game. So. I'll just say, like, when I'm out there, like, honestly, I have more fun drinking the beers than I do, like, hitting the clubs. So cool. it's really, like, uh, the the golf is really the side attraction for me. Well, I got to tell you, I'm so I'm, I'm I'm pumped to hear that you fucking suck at golf because, like, the, the <laughs> world needs to needs balance and needs fairness. And I've got to assume a dude like you, we're not going to speculate, but we're going to safely say your IQ is up above 150. And if you were also, like, a scratch golfer, I, I wouldn't be able to stand you. I couldn't stand you. And so I'm glad that the world works out that way, that like at least you're a terrible golfer to make up for being like the king of DFS, right? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's awesome about sports is like pretty much no matter who you are, the first time you play a sport, you're going to really suck. So right. like that's something I enjoy is like uh, just learning the ins and outs and, and being able to improve a little bit. Man. Golf, it's, it's kind of tough because like actually playing a game, there's a lot of like... It, organization that has to go into it so it's uh, i know like golf simulators have been taking off maybe that's how i need to practice no they're really great I, i'm so much better on a simulator than i am in real life because you get those like nice cushy you know uh tee off boxes and like you can hit them fat and your ball still goes plenty far and then i go out to the real course and i hit it like that and my club just gets stuck in the earth and i break my wrist so uh i mean i love them because they make me feel like a real golfer but they're they're not always the most accurate thing i can't tell you that yeah, I also hate breaking my wrist when I'm out golfing, so I have to agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm doing long-term permanent damage to myself. <laughs> hey, you said something right there that reminded me of a question that I was kicking myself I didn't ask you the first time. <clears throat> Do you enjoy the process? And by that, I mean, like, in the DFS world of, you know, like, it's so much work to, you know, I'm, we'll keep it the fantasy golf because that's the reality I know. But I'm, you know, it's probably the same for all sports from, you know, doing the research to, you know, breaking down the models to building, uh, you know, your rosters. I mean, for anybody that knows, you know what I'm talking about. It's a process. Do you enjoy that or does that feel like work to you? Yeah, I enjoy it a lot. I mean, like with golf in particular, you have so much time to like sit there and think about it. So it's like, holy crap, I have like 
70% Patrick Cantlay this week. Like, is this a good idea? And, uh, like, that's kind of the fun of it is you make some lineups and then you look at them and you're like, whoa, like, what am I doing here? Does this make sense? So it's always a, a good exercise at kind of just uh, seeing how the pieces fit together that week. So, like, uh, for in a whole year, I mean, you have to be making tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lineups across all sports in a year. You're telling me it never starts to feel like a grind? You enjoy the process the whole time? Yeah, I mean, for golf, like, pretty much my process, I'll make, like, tens of thousands of lineups and then try to figure out my favorite ones. So, like, uh, I'd say that's not my favorite part of it, but, like, having tools like Fancy Cruncher make it a lot easier, so... Uh, yeah, I think that uh, that's really kind of like you, you want to like have your lineups turn out the way that, that you like your lineups. So uh, how you get from A to B like is really not the important part. It's just kind of like is your process generating the kind of lineups you want. Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> I just I don't want to spend the whole time talking about DFS, but I mean, we live in that DFS world, so we got to address it. You know, like I'm currently working on making my Mount Rushmore of showdown and I've got seven semifinalists of people that I always see at the top of leaderboards and you're one of them. So I have to imagine, <laughs> you know, a little bit about showdown. Um, PGA DFS showdown is basically what I started my whole brand around. And I think that it's one of the few things in DFS left out there where there's still an edge, you know, not a huge edge because there's never a huge edge in DFS, <laughs> but a little bit of an edge that if you're playing things right and you're willing to take some, you know, zig when everybody's zagging, there's still an edge out there. Are you with me on that or have I just been getting lucky here recently? Yeah, I mean, I think showdown's really cool. Like, I haven't played much showdown round one, so I'd be curious your take on that. But Round two and three are my favorite rounds to play showdown. It's like, I'd say they're not quite as fun as round four because I like that like finishing element. But the the mistakes people make on showdowns round two and three are, are much easier to to exploit where people are like overplaying the guys at the top of the leaderboard. Just uh, in golf, like counting too much that they're going to be able to continue whatever performance they've had to that point in the tournament. And then the other thing is those golfers, at least in round three, start uh, later in the day if they're doing better, which is usually a disadvantage, like depending on the weather. So uh, it's kind of a double whammy where like they're doubling down on the side of the draw that's usually less favorable. So uh, that's kind of why I like rounds two and three. So I never thought I would actually get to help you at DFS, but let me go ahead and tell you the answer to the show, the, the secret to round one showdown. Just go take every donkey chalk mother father that you want to fuck <laughs> off and they're going to smash. They're going to smash. They're going to be round one lead. Taylor Pendrith, by the way, right now it's uh, August 1st. So I'm dating this podcast. We just finished the rocket mortgage. All you had to do was play Scott Stallings and Taylor Pendrith and Kirk and whoever else the donkey dick chalk was. And that's who's going to smash in round one because they like to take all my money. There you go. I just gave you the answer. Yeah, I'll try that. I mean, like, it's like you put all the guys that you want to fail in the same lineup. And then, like, you're jinxing them. That's yeah. the whole point. That's what I am, Captain Mush. I'm just trying to destroy people by putting uh, putting some uh, – if I need them to do well, you know they'll shit the bed. That's right, yeah. And uh, make sure to tweet everybody and let them know. Absolutely. Oh, I always do that. I, like, my favorite thing is, like, tomorrow I am playing Taylor Pendrith because I'm going to mush that motherfucker. Um, so 
round four is kind of interesting because like those same mistakes that people are making in rounds two and three, like of, of playing the guys at a high clip that are at the top of the leaderboard, it actually is a good strategy. So I don't know. What do you think of round four? Because I, I found it a little bit tougher to get an edge because like people aren't making as many mistakes. Although it's funny, man. Like once in a while, I have guys DM me and like they don't understand that the round four scoring format is different than rounds two and three. So there are definitely some people that don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So I got strong takes on round four. I will tell you that I never play the guys at the top unless it is an established stud. Like yesterday, Taylor Pendrith was the easiest fade ever. I mean, he actually played okay. He shot even par, but he was definitely not going to be any optimal GPP winning lineups. Um, who was it the week before? Scott Piercy? Get the fuck out of here. And then, uh, <laughs> Victor Hovland? I mean, yeah, he's a stud, but like he was playing above his he was playing above his weight class, right? Um, so generally speaking, fade the leader. Give me two or three guys in that top ten range that are studs that can go track them down. They're going to be firing at pins and getting those birdies because what the position points, the difference between like first place and 30th place is literally like less than two birdies. So if I can just pick up two birdies on those guys that are, you know, in the final group that are nervous, you know, that's kind of how I like to roll. Yeah, definitely. I think, and and I don't ever want to play 40% owned guys. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, those guys that finished first, I think that's 12 points. So, is that two birdies or something? Yeah, it's five five point seven five for birdies, and thirtieth place thirtieth point thirtieth place is like one point for finishing thirtieth. Yeah. So they're getting a position point too. So so I think that's why like playing the guys at the bottom that that don't have that potential to move up to the top ten is is kind of yeah. suboptimal. Where yeah. like in terms of projection, like picking a guy that's in seventieth place versus fortieth might not seem that big, but like the actual potential is a lot different there. So you want to make sure when your guy has that, that big performance, they also get that bonus. Tom Kim yesterday. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like I always want a guy that if they hit their ceiling, they can still backdoor a top 10. So if you're yeah. playing a guy that's, you know, 26 shots off the lead, like you might just be getting too cute at that point. So, I, yeah. you know, I usually draw it with anybody who's within four or five strokes of 10th place. You know, I could see them in a, you know, in, a, in, in the high end round getting up to a top 10 because then you're getting those bonus position points that you weren't even counting on. Plus, you know, they got a shit ton of birdies if they backdoor to top 10. Totally. Yeah. Like, and if you take a top stud, like, like John Rahm, I, I was funny, man. I was looking at one of my Sims and he had like n- minus nine in the round and like he was the highest scorer, even though he was like ranked number 40. I was like, oh, like, is there something wrong here? But it's like, like the chance that he gets nine birdies isn't, or nine minus nine is in like that far like out of the range of possibilities. Right. Problem is, is he has to go shoot those, that nine under and then none of the guys up top basically if they shoot seven under they would still match him or pass him so that's what you gotta that you also have to sweat that so not only do you have to have like the absolute ceiling round from your guy you have to make sure those other guys don't have like a 90th percentile round out of themselves um and so that's asking a lot sometimes that's why i don't you know guys t65 ended in a sunday he's usually marked off the board definitely so all right i i I gotta first of all thank you again for coming on doing this with me and i gotta just say this one thing i have been around a lot of communities and i've been around a lot of industries where people always naturally um soar to the top of it um and get up there and when they do it's just natural it's just human instinct that like uh you know your uh ego is going to become inflated or you're going to take yourself a little too serious or you're going to you know think you know basically just think you're more important than you really are and i've been following you you know in this DFS world for at least six years. And that has just never been the case with you. You've always seemed down to earth, a humble, good dude. 
um, even though you've literally been the king of DFS for, you know, what, the past five or six years now. And literally the only reason you're not is because you've made a conscious effort to step back. So, like, can you just, like, touch on that, that, like, like how you've not let all of your success go to your head? I'm just curious about that because I see it in every <laughs> industry I've ever seen. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, like, I think there's two things. One is that you get your ass kicked in DFS like more often than he succeeded, uh, like just like golf where like, even if you're a good golfer, like, or if you're the world's best, like not many of us will be able to relate to that because I don't think John Rahm's listening to this. Yeah. No offense. But, uh, like even in, like John Rahm doesn't go out and, and finish top 20, like in the cash every week, basically. So like, um, I, I think in DFS it's even more where like, you're going to lose most of your money most days uh, no matter how good you are. And then the other thing I realized, like playing live poker back when I was a poker pro, is like the guys that you're sitting down at the table with, like no matter how like baller you are at poker, like the guys that are the casual players at those stakes are like way bigger ballers than you are. So it's like uh, I might be doing well on DFS, but those guys I'm playing against uh, in the high stakes are probably like balling out super hard. Right. And th like this leads me to another question because I get this a lot. People being like, I want to start taking DFS more serious. And I feel like there's like this underlying thing where they think they're going to become a pro. And I'm like trying to explain to them that like year over year, the number of people that turn a profit at DFS is like such a minuscule number. Like, I mean, you would be, it would humble people if they knew how few players out there legitimately win every single year on their tax returns. I mean, they might win three out of four years, but every year it's it's hard. It's hard. I can tell you it's very hard. And so for those guys that are like trying that, like think that they're going to become pros and stuff like that, like is it... Do you think that it's something that like an average person can do or is the only way to ever do it is to be like really good and basically live that life and, you know, probably be pretty smart and pretty lucky at the same time? Yeah, I think that like being a DFS pro is definitely possible for most people if you like know how to approach the game. And like the most important thing I'd say like is you got to know which games you're going to be profitable and then what you're not and the the challenge level of different sports and different contests within those sports like varies so wildly so uh like if i was if someone was telling me they want to be a pro like i'd say like you got to start building your bankroll on on the small sites like yahoo where like there's a little bit softer competition like you're only as good as like how you, good you are versus minus how good like the people you're playing against are. And it's much easier to control who you're playing against and how good you are. So that's kind of my general philosophy when it comes to, to any kind of gambling, but especially DFS. And I see, I've seen you like playing esports, right? And winning GPPs at esports. How in the F do you ever, where does one even go about starting to research that? That just seems like so out of my realm of reality. Yeah, esports is fun, man. Like I, uh, I only got into it because of COVID and the fact we didn't have any sports. So my site, like we were trying to figure out how to scrap together some funds, and one part of how we did it is by selling esports packages. And I think the product we came up with was is pretty good. So I've been continuing to to play some of these League of Legends and Counter Strike slates. The nice thing about uh, working in the industry is, like, okay, so a lot of what I'm doing for my job, like also is getting me 80% of the way to, to having lineups put in. So it's kind of like all the research is my job. And then like entering some lineups doesn't take that much extra effort. 
So in that sense, you're pretty blessed because you basically get paid to do something you enjoy, right? If you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. The one tricky part about my job uh, is that like the timing of everything's really difficult. So like NBA late swap, you gotta keep updating those things until like 9 p.m. my time, or or like showdown in golf. It's like sometimes rounds last until like 8:30 or 9 at night. You're telling and me, brother. They, yeah, it's like they start at six in the morning the next day. It's like the turnaround time is right. pretty small. So now imagine you're the asshole that tries to make YouTube videos that have like a half-life <laughs> of six hours that people have to watch them. That's awesome. It's an awesome life I live. So, uh, all right, just a little bit about uh, PGA. Are you, Like, in general, are you a golf fan? Are you like me and you're legit only watching golf if you have money on it? So I got a mad respect for, for golfers because like they're so good at what they do and I really appreciate that. Like even if they screw me over in my lineups. Mm -hmm. But uh like I I just don't find watching golf very like interesting, <laughs> to be honest. Or like especially like if it's the last day, I could see it because it actually like seems like every shot it could be high leverage, but if it's just like Thursday or Friday, like just turning it on and watching my favorite golfer, like Stuart Sink, tee it up. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that that's really my, my jam. Yeah. Um, so wait, you, 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 great segue there. Like one of my favorite questions I always ask somebody, especially at your level, is like, do you have like your plays that like you play more than you should? You know, like mine's definitely like, you know, Sam Ryder is my new one. Kyle Stanley used to be my old one. I'm just like a slut for those guys because I hate myself and or money. And so like, uh, who are there any guys like that that you play at PGA way more than you should just because you have like a soft spot in your heart for them? Definitely. Yeah. Like um, one that comes to mind is like the Scottish Open. I looked down at my lineups and I had like Victor Perez, like bananas, my lineups. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, like. I don't even know who this guy is and I'm playing him, but like, it's partly because I like the Vegas odds were just like pumped on him that day. So like, maybe it was like kind of faulty, but, uh, like it's kind of stuff like that where I just end up like with a ton of guy, like one guy, it seems to be the same guys every week to be honest. Like Sam Burns is always in my lineups, like of these high variance guys. Uh, are you, are you a, a Siwoo Kim guy? I, I like the fact that he's so high variance. Yeah, that's because, that's, that's the first guy yeah. I think of. It's the first guy I think of. Um, but yeah, it's like I I feel really confident when I get a lot of like a guy like John Rahm. But it's like if I'm getting a lot of guy like Cameron, uh, oh, Charlie Hoffman, I'm like, oh shoot, this feels horrible. But also he's like looking so good in my numbers. Like I don't know what to do in that. I will say Charlie Hoffman has started showing a little bit of life again. He like went to be yeah. the worst golfer ever. And like, I've seen, I've seen him on <laughs> golf channel at least like three times in the past month. So maybe, maybe old Charlie's coming back. By the way, Charlie Hoffman just strikes me as the perfect guy to go to the, to the live tour. Like when I think <laughs> of like old guys, they're just chasing money. Like how is Charlie Hoffman not on the live tour? It makes no sense to me. It'd be kind of sad, man, because like he was one of the PGA, like uh, players that, I, I don't know their system, but it was like they're kind of like player representatives to the PGA. So like he'd worked for the PGA as like that before. So it'd be like, uh, like especially interesting if some of those guys that are more tied to PGA, like went to live. No kidding. That'd be a, that'd be a straight kick in the nuts. Do you, uh, yeah. do you think, uh, do you think live is gonna 
live? Do you think it's going to grow? Do you think it's going to be a thing? <laughs> I mean, I know that they have endless amounts of money, but like even endless amounts of money, people aren't going to just light money on fire in perpetuity. So like, do you think that it, it, they're going to get sustainable uh, or do you think they'll flame out first? I think uh, that's anyone's guess now, but I, I think they identified a flaw in the PGA, which is that all of their employees are independent contractors. And if you recruit, like, if you recruit like one of them, it doesn't make a difference. But if you recruit 100 PGA players, then their roster is looking a little thin. So I think what the PGA is going to have to do is pay their guys more to, to stay at PGA. And like, maybe this will change the golf industry where it'll be more like regular, or sorry, more like team sports where everyone has like a contract instead of like them just fighting over these PGA cards every year. Could you imagine all the golfers being employees of the PGA and then getting together and collectively bargaining? That would be, I would love to see the PGA just squirm at that. That's basically what's happening right now. Like, although it's like, you're calling, we're calling it like a different thing. Like, but like, that's the same kind of pressure that PGA is facing. Right. Let's just hope the real winner is you and I and everybody that watches yeah. golf and we get a better product out of it. That's 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 all I really want. I don't I don't really have a horse in this race. PGA yep. is nothing special. Um, I can't yeah, the one thing Go ahead. that like I don't understand is everyone's like the the this is like dirty money that's backing this. It's like dude, like every like all money is like made in so, like I don't want to say like all money, but like a lot of people like have a ton of money by ill-gotten gains, and I, that's kind of the way the world revolves dude, right now. So. I say this all the time, and people get offended by it, but there is no billion-dollar organization, corporation out there that does not have some blood money in their past. PGA, yeah. I guarantee you, give me ten minutes on Google, and I will find you some <laughs> shady shit from their past, and they can get off this like holier-than-thou card. Totally, yeah. Um, so like honestly like yeah i'm with you i don't really have a horse in the race like so i'm just kind of rolling with the punches and see what happens uh so um let sorry just got just got a whole big old message here sorry i got uh going back over um so um pl- uh, who's your favorite golfer like like we we talked about you like some of those scrubs like sink who's your favorite top end guy i think i already know the answer to this i just want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth oh man uh I honestly don't. I don't know who to pick. Like, uh, my, let me pull up the list here. It, uh, are you like me that your favorite golfers are usually the guys that have won you the most money? Uh, I, I guess I'd say my favorite is Colin Morikawa, just because I, I saw him at uh, at the Tiger Jam that I won a trip to through DraftKings, and like I, I was just hanging out like at the, uh, before it started, and he kind of looked at me. And I was like, this guy looks really familiar. Like, is this Colin Morikawa? Like, I didn't know he was going to participate in the event. And he looked right at me. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, but then, like, he, he was uh, hitting some balls with Tiger, and it was, it was pretty cool. He's, he's super cool. Did you, did you, so you chatted with him for a little bit? I never chatted with him, but he was kind of giving, like, an interview, and it seemed like he was, like, he didn't take the game too serious. He's just having a ton of fun, so I like that. How many majors is he gonna win? This is this is a this is a point of contention between me and some others. How many does he have so far? Two. two. He has two. He's in the bag for two. Okay. And he's young. So is he twenty five maybe? Damn. I think Okay, so like let's, let's think about this mathematically. So he's like twenty five to one and and a major. Like let's let's give him that on yeah. average. So that's about uh, one every six one years. Six. Yeah. One in six chance each uh each year so 
uh over 18 years i guess five majors there you go that's a that's a pretty logical way of thinking about it just um yeah especially if they're nice conditions that guy can tear a course apart when uh when 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 it's uh going easy so, so all right other fantasy sports like how, like how does football impact you when it comes to golf like are, do you just ditch golf during swing season or do you do you stick to it even during nfl which we all know is kind of the king I stick with it. Like I have to update my model for for the site, like for each week. Like, unfortunately, being in the industry, you can't just take off stuff because of NFL. So, uh, because like eighty percent of my process is just setting up the model and and running ownership and all that, then I'm definitely taking the time to like get some lineups in at the same time. So, I, I usually play every week, uh, barring unusual circumstances. And how much has that model evolved over the years? Like, I feel like this is like another thing that people think that the process is like they figure out something, they have a good week, and they have figured out, you know, DFS. But I, I, I've been around long enough to know that like you got to constantly be evolving because the game's evolving. So like, how much has your model and your process changed over the years to like evolve to fit the game? Yeah, I think the the model has gotten a lot of awesomer over time. Like to be honest, where like. Uh, I've kind of learned a lot about how to like keep track of data and use that to to improve the model. And like I actually came up with like five different like ways to measure like a golfer skill level, and then trying to figure out like how to reconcile all of them for like a projection. So I think uh, I think it's been getting better and better over time. And like I've just noticed this, and you being one of the you know being the the king of the mountain for so long, you got to know a lot of these top end guys. I've noticed that so many of the top end guys just don't play PGA DFS at all or at near the rate that they play other sports at. Is it is there any particular reason for that? Like I mean, I have my theories, um, but I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know for sure. I think it's because they're chicken. Like they don't want to throw down the money. Yeah. But no, I'm just I'm just kidding. I think uh, well, PGA is just a little bit. Uh, it is more of an uphill battle to to make a ton of money at because it's pretty infrequent. Like there's a ton of variance, and then the actual mechanics of the game are very dissimilar to other sports. So uh, there's a lot of barriers for someone to to go from being like a NBA DFS player to a PGA DFS. So I'd have to imagine that's a big part of why there's not a ton of crossover. I also don't know if like a lot of the top players. Uh, and the overall leaderboard are the top players in PGA. Like, I don't, I don't know how high of a correlation that is. So uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and so, like, and another question I have, which may be related to this answer, the DraftKings <laughs> tournaments for PGA, especially for, like, Sunday Showdown, fucking suck. They give way too much money to the top places. They're, you know, they're just really unbalanced payout structures. And I, I get why they're doing it. They're trying to draw in new people with the allure of winning $100,000 to first, you know, like lottery type shit, right? And do you think, I mean, I, I don't seem to see that problem at other sports as much. Even when they do have the big GPP, there's other alternatives that have much flatter, better payout structures for people that are into that kind of thing. And it just hasn't really crossed into showdown near as much at PGA. Is, do you think that that deters the good players from playing it at all? Or is that just me being a whiny bitch? It makes it difficult to like have the bankroll to, to play because the more top heavy it is, the, the more bankroll you need to withstand it. Uh, but Man, like I, I totally get it because like I played this fifteen dollar MLB tournament on Thursday and at one fifty K I got first. And like I didn't 
like feel like it was that not like awesome because like it's like uh, I can lose 50k in a few days like playing playing DFS too so it's like 50k that's it that like so it's like after every contest is 100k or in PGA it's like 200 300k like every week so uh it does make it more exciting playing for that much but then the amount of swings you're gonna get are like crazy because the odds of finishing first no matter how good you are are, are pretty small so like if you okay so let's do some quick math so your odds of winning um let's say you max enter the this the contest with sixty thousand people mm-hmm. like uh, 48 weeks uh and you're a completely average player like you have a 12 percent chance of winning one of those 48 weeks in that in that big 20 dollar so like that's one in eight years you're gonna finish first and if it's twenty dollars so, and you're doing 150 in there that's three thousand three thousand times 48 weeks one hundred forty four thousand dollars you have invested yep. and, and you have you got to get top two i mean no even second place wouldn't pay off one hundred forty four thousand because it's usually 100 and so yep. like even if you got a second place which would be defying the mathematical odds you're still down for the year yeah i mean well like okay yeah i think your odds of having a really awesome year you got a bink one you know and right. it's only 12 percent of the time so that that's kind of the like let's say that you're an excellent player and instead of 12 percent, you have a 20 percent chance higher than 12 percent. so that would be about 14 and a half percent or wait no uh yeah for 14 and a half percent so uh like still that's like instead of one in eight you're talking like one in seven you know that right. doesn't improve your odds that much even if you kick ass at pga yeah i it's i, I that that was the worst thing i realized that once i started playing i would win like a ten thousand dollar gpp or have a nice finish and i'd be like oh well that buys me another week and a half like when you start thinking of it like that like you said with the fifty thousand dollar thing it's very deflating you know it's only it's almost like you can't even celebrate it's almost like oh i've bought myself another 10 days of free rolling yeah. to hit a bigger one that's what that's basically what it feels like and uh yeah, it's that's it, that, that, that it really helps you keep your winnings in perspective when people see, oh, I saw you at the top of the leaderboard. You won so much money. I'd be like, not as much as you think, big guy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, everyone knows like like if you're going to win 250K in a tournament, like how many entry fees yeah. did you go through to get there? So it's not like exactly. insult profit. Yeah. And if you're just min cashing in those things, you're losing your ass because the min caches in those are laughable. Yeah. So, all right, you said you were a poker player before you played DFS. I need to hear more about this because I, like, I was a poker pro for exactly three weeks. I went to Las Vegas when I was 21, moved there for three weeks and was a professional poker player and was kicking ass, and then I lost one hand, went on tilt, lost everything, and realized <laughs> that I'm a bitch and I'm not cut out for this life. <laughs> and so um, I would love to hear about people being professional poker players because more than just the skill, I get the skill part of it. It's like the, the ability to handle uh, strife. Like, like, how long? Like, tell me about your poker playing career. I just want to know about it. I find that fascinating. Uh, so I, I started being a pro in poker. I mean, I played in high school and college so, as a side hustle, but I went pro in 2010 because I got fired from my my job of being a fundraiser, and I was like, uh, I was considering different options. I was like, if you run the math, like, I'll make more money playing poker than any alternative. So I just played poker. But I wasn't like particularly good at poker, I'd say. Like I probably made like about fifty K like the first few years and then 
I like a couple of years in, I looked at my numbers and I'm like, damn, if I'm winning at like 3% ROI in these sit and goes, that means a lot of the sit and goes I'm entering, I'm actually losing money. And then like a few, like some of them I'm winning money. And if I just like cut out those losing tournaments, which like have harder fields, like I could improve my ROI substantially. In, in the industry, they call it bum hunting. Yeah. Right? So we, it's kind of like. There's bum hunting in DFS too, right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Especially in cash, cash game. Yeah. Yep. That's so, the only way to do it. Let me ask you, then, what what is the skill correlation between DFS and poker? Like which one is easier to be successful at or i guess which one's harder to be successful at whatever way you want to look at it i think it uh poker is probably easier because uh there's like limiting factors where each person can only play like x tables where in dfs <laughs> like all the best players are playing everything so that's where like going to a smaller site where these guys aren't playing or or playing in tournaments that that are softer, like the big twenty dollar one, those are like good ways to do it. Or or cash, uh, finding just cash games that that are a little bit softer. So, um, in poker, uh, those limits do work in everybody's favor. So, uh, like your your chances of success are higher from that regard. Right. So you've done poker. You've been at the DFS for a long time. Like, what? Like, what? What's, what's the plans going forward? You just going to keep uh, dominating DFS, or is this year where you've kind of making a, a point to step back a little bit? Is that kind of like a sign of maybe a transition in your life? A little bit, yeah. I got married last year, so that's Congrats. part of it. Where, thanks, man. Uh, just like I, I don't want to like spend eighty hours a week doing DFS indefinitely. When I like started. I kind of looked up to Sahil Sud as my role model because he just like absolutely dominated the overall rankings on Roto Grinders. So I was like, I want to be Sahil Sud, and like uh, then I was I did it for like more than four years, and I was just like I can't like do this indefinitely. So I was like, maybe I'll like look for new pursuits, and one of them was winning a million dollar first prize, and like right after I became number two, I won the million dollar. <laughs> so I'm like. Now, now, what's next in my DFS playing career? And I, I'm still looking for new new challenges there, I'd say. So maybe a live final would be a good one, but I'm a little bit at a inflection point. Like, also, I'm, like, with my company, like, we're doing pretty well. So uh, I'm, like, what's my future, like, career-wise in that regard? So I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. I, I don't have a lot of direction right now where I want to go. Right. But you have the ultimate ace of spades in your back pocket that people that are successful and skillful at one thing like think that oh they're just good at that one thing no 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 being successful and being skilled at something is a like as a mindset it's a way to immerse yourself and not accept anything being the best at it and when you can do that at one thing i swear to god you could do it at anything so whatever you choose to do the next adventure you're going to dominate it too <laughs> thanks man yeah it's funny man like when i look at uh, what happened it's like damn I was like number one for for like a while and like I, I'm like damn I'm just like a normal guy like how did I end up in this situation yeah I mean, like I, I'm sure like everyone feel feels like they could do it too and like I actually kind of think it's true if you like approach it the right way like and you have like some level of skills that yeah. 
like it's achievable. Right. Problem is knowing what that right way is. That's why I always yeah. <laughs> tell people, man, just get into DFS, please. Here's my PSA for all of you listening out there. Get into DFS because you enjoy it. Do not get into mm-hmm. this thing and you're going to become a millionaire or this is a game that can be beat because there's a lot of other sharp people out there trying to do it. If you enjoy the process, you enjoy sweating lineups, you enjoy making lineups, and you break completely even over a five-year period, but you've enjoyed it. What what amazing what an amazing ROI that you got to all that fun time that you got to put into it and it cost you zero dollars. Think about how many how much money it would have cost if you were putting that into other hobbies. So that's always my goal. Try to you know try to just become a break even player and if you get really lucky or you get really good or preferably both, then maybe you'll win some money. Definitely. And the other thing I'd say is like it really really helps having a job while you like start to build up your bankroll. So that you can be a lot more risk taking because uh like it honestly like these 15 dollars tournaments like if you're like doing like simulations you need a bankroll like hundreds of thousands of dollars even if you're a great player to sustain the swings and your risk of root is high so like having a source of income to, to be able to take some more shots in those that makes your chance of success a lot higher yeah, no, th- that's that's the best point that I've heard anybody say, and I always forget to say it. I enjoyed DFS so much more when I was a high school teacher because, like, I had health insurance and I had, you know, a monthly check coming in and all that. And then anything I played at DFS was just fucking icing on the cake. But for the past 18 months, DFS has been my sole income, and now I don't want to just go throw money in or throw a bunch of 150 lineups into a negative EV tournament because, like, I'm, like, weighing if that is a positive play for my bankroll, what I have and how much I'm willing to risk and honestly it starts to feel like a grind and it's not near as much fun so that that's something to remember for all of you that want to be professional dfsers keep your day job for a while you'll enjoy this shit a lot more yeah definitely like the other thing that blows my mind is like how people get like i this is contradictory to what i just said but like how you could have a full-time job and play dfs like every night like i just don't understand how like anyone has the time to do this but i know a lot of people do it and like a lot of the guys coming up through the ranks, like a couple recently that I know, like Whistles Go Woo, like mm-hmm. he was a professor, like Garns, uh, I think he's Garns 22. I think he's in finance and my buddy C Buzzard, like another finance guy. Uh, so it's like a lot of these guys that that quit their jobs to become pros, like, like have pretty good jobs and then they're just fine. They can they can make more money doing DFS like and that that initial like ability to to get in the game like helps immensely a lot of a lot of attorneys too I know a lot of top players are attorneys I I would have never thought that that'd be a crossover but I can name it off the top of my head five top 100 players that are attorneys yeah that doesn't surprise me because we all know attorneys want to quit their jobs amen to that um so, um, you just said something. Now I uh, freaking forgot. Whatever. It, 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 look, we're into hour two of this. So, a couple more points I want to hit. So, uh, like, how much uh, sports betting do you do? Like, in my piece of shit state of Oklahoma, we can do DFS, but we can't do sports betting. So, like, what's your sports betting scene like? Yeah, like, uh, I like sports betting a lot. The way I like the, the sports bet is epic, like, parlays and, and round robins where you're throwing in uh with the potential of getting like a 10 or 100x or whatever so uh i i really enjoy football for that reason because you got a lot of time to kind of come up with what bets you want to make and place them 
basketball is a little bit trickier because of like the timing of news and everything but uh usually bet basketball like once every day or two and then baseball just haven't had the time to like crack the nut of figuring out the best way to to bet it so i do a few different bets in there but not not anything extensive Gotcha. I, I can't wait till Texas passes sports betting. So my piece of shit state of Oklahoma will pass it because we just follow what they do. So the last thing I just want to leave off on is uh, golf. It is the Lord's game when it comes to DFS, because as you said, people with jobs can still put in adequate time with it. Right. Because like you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to get all your prep done. And if you're just playing week long, you know, main slate, then that's that three days. Even in the evening, you can put in enough time to be good at it. So uh, do you agree that golf is probably more suited to the average everyday Joe being able to have a process that, to keep up with some of the higher end players, or am I just talking up the sport because I love it more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, golf and football—it's like you both, both of them. You have like plenty of time to like do it, and that that makes it so much easier. There's some other sports like that that are under the radar, like Leo Legends is a, is a great one uh, as far as like timing. Um, so it's not just golf and an NFL, but golf is a great one. And the other thing that's conducive about golf is it's easier to get started because it's harder to, to make bad lineups in golf. It like works against you as a pro because it's harder to get an edge, but it works in your favor as someone that wants to get started because like the skill floor is a lot higher. So it just lets you like get in, in the game in a safer way. Right. And then, Last one. I get this is a bit of a fanboy question, but like, which of the sports have you had the most success in over the years? Like ROI, because obviously the sports you've played more, you're going to win more. But based on you know your return of investment, what which one would you say you've had the highest success rate at over the years? NFL is definitely the the one I've had most success at, and I mean I I'm not necessarily thinking it's because I'm like some NFL crusher compared to other sports. It's just like the logistics work a lot better where there's a lot more casuals playing yep mlb and nba like i've i probably won about equal between those three uh and mlb and nba you get a lot more chances to play which is a big part of how that happens so those are really my big three gotcha is there any 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 golf topics you want to talk about before i let you go after our second full hour of talking um i'm curious what you think about some of the the smaller slates like we talked about showdown you play like the the late round showdown like uh where it's like half the pool so here's the like you know first of all the answer should be of course i do but it's not and i i don't have a good answer for that and i've been answering some of my uh, followers and i'm like i need to get into that because i've actually yeah. started doing cash game on sunday showdown i'm legit six for six of six weeks six caches like I feel like I have a, a, a formula that works there. The whole captain mode where you can pick the guys in the afternoon has good GPPs up for it. And I just never play it. And my answer to that is, like, why don't I? I don't have one. And the correct answer is, is I'm going to fucking start. Like, there's just no reason. Like, it, it just strikes me as a game that's like showdown, but probably even a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more strategy to it where there might be an edge for somebody who's a little sharper or it thinks about the game in a different way. So I don't but I should. So I, now I got to follow, yeah. I got to throw that back at you. Do you play those, those uh, captain modes and stuff like that at golf? I don't like, except if it's a really big one for major, I might play, but that'd be another piece of advice. If you're like working your way up in PGA is like play every slate, like, and like the smaller the slate is, it's probably easier to win at, to be honest, because a lot of 
the crushers like you and me aren't aren't necessarily like entering lineups every time. So like it kind of goes back to that that rule of thumb where you're only as good as like how good you are minus how good your opponents are. Yeah. I mean, I can just tell you from Sunday showdown, how many of the names I see crushing at week long, you know, you've already said a lot of their names. I never see them at the top of showdown leaderboards. And I know it's not because they're not good. It's because they're just not playing. And like, I'm not sure it might just not carry their interest. Maybe they don't have time, but I will tell you, that's another reason. I just feel like showdown is more of an edge is because there's less sharks out there floating around in that ocean. Definitely. And, and PGA is a sport that has a lot of recreational players. So that is like one really big, like positive with PGA is <clears throat> there are a lot of people that, that are chasing like these guys that won recently are chasing like the top of the leaderboards and stuff. So it is, uh, there, there's a lot of reason to think that you can get a pretty big edge. Absolutely. So this man right here, his name is Alex Baker. You probably know him as Osimo, the best DFS player in the world for, you know, in my, Hey, I don't care if somebody's ranked ahead of you. You're still number one in my heart, brother. So Thanks. just so you know, this guy, I already did a full recording and he came back on and did it with me again. You're such a fucking saint and a scholar for doing this. I truly appreciate it. Uh, whenever Topa Chico finally sponsors me, I'm going to send you a big old bouquet of flowers. Um, <laughs> But in the meantime, why don't you tell the people a little bit about everything you got going on, which is a whole bunch, and you know, sell yourself a little bit. Not that you really need to, but do it. Definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, if you're not already a member at Stochastic, like you can get all of our models uh, for that. That really help with PGA, like ownership projections. We added the optimal lineup percentages for each golfer recently, so that that's a really powerful tool. And our YouTube channel at Stochastic like has a lot of analysis for the slates. So uh, just to make sure to, to check those out if you haven't already. Got some smart cats over there. I know Ben Raz always does the uh, Wednesday night stream. So right, yeah, can't go wrong with him. I, I feel like I feel like he's the most accidentally funny guy ever. I mean, maybe he's doing it on purpose. But that dude, I've never watched one of his streams or shows, and he doesn't make me laugh at least three times. It is a rule. Yeah, Ben is awesome, man. Uh, so. Like we got a lot of great great guys on on the channel, so um, I think if you haven't checked it out, you'll like it. So get your asses over there and check it out. All kinds of great tools could help you become better. Uh, if I mean, if Alex is using them, I I, I can't imagine they're going to hurt your game at all. So with that said, that concludes episode three of the Degenerate Seventy Five Talks Golf with Smart People. I think we can say I'm three for three on smart people. Don't forget to go check out the YouTube channel. It's growing. I talk a lot of shit. I'll see you guys later. I'm out.